and we're live. Namaste and welcome to the Bharat Vartha Weekly with me, Roshan Karyapa. I have your guests, Nirav Kanodra and Abhishek Paul here with me today to run you through the news and events of the week. It's been a super action-packed week uh, this week, right? I mean, we had plenty of things happen geopolitically, uh, uh, politically and a bunch of other things, right? So we'll start with some very, very good news, uh, you know, India clocked 2.5 crore vaccinations per day uh, last week, which is a mind-boggling achievement, right? Uh, super fantastic news coming in, right? Uh, uh, we'll talk about the AUKUS pact between UK, US and Australia. Uh, and as I mentioned, a bunch of political things happened as well. Uh, in Punjab, Captain Amrinder Singh resigned. Uh, the new chief minister took over in Gujarat, uh, Mr. Bupendra Patel. And then former union minister, Babal Supriyo joined the TMC. So we have plenty of ground to cover. Uh, please leave your comments and suggestions and questions in the chat. I look forward to them. So we'll get started with uh, last week's episodes. So we put out a couple of very, very rich and fascinating episodes uh, last week. Uh, we put out one with author Anish Gokhale on the battles of the Maratha Empire, which is a book that he has just written. So Nirav, what do you think about this? Yeah, so uh, this is a very interesting episode and like it, I can form like a distinct uh, difference in say Dr. Uday Kulkarni's books on like Maratha history, which is focused more on the history and the like bringing us in that era. Whereas these, this is very much more focused on the military aspect, the battles and the description of how the battles went through. Bharatwarta has done a great thing about like uh, popularizing uh, Maratha history to all of their viewers, listeners. So definitely it gives you a different perspective on a similar topic and uh, yeah, definitely worth a listen. And then we had the first of our Velina talk uh, series, Velina's talk series uh, with Hezbollah Khan, who's a journalist in Afghanistan. Abhishek, what do you think about this? Quite a difficult episode to actually yeah. listen to considering all the tough times that these people are going through in Afghanistan. I mean, it was obviously a different perspective to what you hear or listen to in mainstream media or whatever that we are generally accustomed to. So it was obviously fascinating, but also pretty difficult to listen to someone who is actually there and how they are facing the ground situations, including the various brutal steps that Taliban is taking there. Right. So two very good ep episodes. Uh, do check it out, folks, and let us know what you think. All right, we'll start with the first piece of news for this week. Earlier this week, the cabinet approved a set of nine telecom reforms. These measures are aimed at addressing short-term liquidity needs and also have some long-term implications as well. One notable measure includes a four-year moratorium on payment of dues arising from the adjusted gross revenue judgment of 2020. Uh, other changes include spectrum sharing, abolishing license uh, requirements for equipment and allowing 100% FDI through the automatic route. So Nirav, can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, what actually the benefits are from these reforms? Yeah. So one thing is, uh, what has happened is in the Indian telecom space, you have had like one major player, uh, Vodafone idea, which is on verge of bankruptcy, which left basically two dominant players, which is Reliance Geo and Bharti Airtel. So the change is only prospective. So previous dues are still to be paid, but you got a four-year moratorium on your adjusted gross revenue, AGR payment. That's a big positive in terms of cash flow and liquidity. So that telecom vendor specifically Vodafone idea 
remains alive and doesn't go bust. Uh, the second thing is they've kept it. There was a little bit of gray area whether it was applicable to non-telecom revenues as well. So this also there is clarity that it is only applicable to telecom revenues and any other side revenues that they're getting would not be applicable. These dues would not be paid. While it's just a moratorium, payments will be made after four years going up to 2031 paid in installments. So this basically ensures that the telecom sector is not a duopoly. It remains competitive. So it's very beneficial to consumers. The other reform, key reform was 100% FDI allowed in the telecom sector. So probably this makes India an attractive market. It has come up from 49%. So if there are other uh, international telecom players who want to enter India, we've not yet had our 5G auctions. This allows for more players and uh, more investment. With India seeing like a digital revolution, the 5G spectrum auction, I think there will be more internet services being used. So definitely it's a great thing. I feel like this reform has come probably a little late. There was a lot of gray area. You were seeing Vodafone services kind of decline in quality due to lack of their own investment. So this maintains a healthy playing field and it is very much welcome. And consumers will be the final beneficiaries uh, if there is no duopoly or a monopoly running the telecom business. Just a quick follow-up on that, right? I mean, has it come a little too late, as you mentioned, you know, because we've seen what ha- what's happened with Idea, for instance, right? Yes. So yes, I totally agree. It has happened a little too late. The best time to do it was probably two, three years ago. But the second best time is today. So they've done what they've done. I think it is definitely a step in the right direction. All right, moving on. Mr. Bupendra Patel has been appointed the new Chief Minister of Gujarat. Mr. Bupendra Patel is a first-time MLA and has been made the CM of Gujarat, replacing Mr. Vijay Rupani a year ahead of assembly elections. We discussed this last week when Mr. Vijay Rupani resigned. He's the first Karwa Partidar CM and the first CM to hear from Ahmedabad. Abhishek, he's a relatively unknown face, right? As far as, uh, you know, Chief Minister candidates go. What can you tell us? You know, can you tell us a little more about him? Yeah, so he, I believe, is an engineer by profession and as you said, a first-time MLA. But he's held some important posts in the Ahmedabad Municipality and Urban Development Authorities, right? So he has experience of, you know, administration via basically the at the city level, right? And he was an important figure there. So I think in an interesting development, uh, as you said, I mean, there has been a perception in the last few years that the Patel community has been sort of slightly going away from the BJP. So perhaps this move is sort of targeted to address that issue. But also it's interesting that he will be the third CM of Gujarat after Narendra Modi uh, went to Delhi to become the Prime Minister, right? So, and none of the CMs have basically post Mr. Modi have completed their uh, full tenure. So I think one issue obviously is sort of a perception issue where I think it is only natural that people will struggle to fulfill or come up to the same levels the expectation from Mr. Modi would have created, right, over the years. So that's obviously a perception issue and also uh, with the assembly elections next year i mean the party would have felt that it best to uh, go into that with a new leader another interesting development was that the entire cabinet that has come in is filled with fresh faces right they have not repeated ministers from the past administration so basically i think it's like a move to project a totally fresh and new start and uh, about a year's time before uh, the assembly elections happen. I think as we mentioned, uh, when we discussed the Karnataka uh, change as well, that, you know, the BJP is being proactive with the elections coming up. All right, moving on. Tata and SpiceJet have put in their bids for stakes in Air India. 
The winning bidder will get 100% of the low-cost arm of Air India known as Air India Express as well as 4,400 domestic and 1,800 international landing and parking slots. The privatization process is looking to achieve a 1.75 trillion divestment target as announced by the government in the union budget of 2020-2021. The privatization of Air India is expected to be completed by FY22. Nirav, experts are saying that, you know, Tata Sons is the front runner for this. Uh, what do you think? Yeah, so, okay, you've got two people bidding for it. Originally, Air India was Tata Airlines, which was nationalized. So I think there is an emotional connect as well amongst the leadership of the Tata group to get it back. Uh, Tatas have got into like a, a airline joint venture with Singapore Airlines called Vistara. So I think they want to get into the airline business. Tata group has a great balance sheet where you have a diversified conglomerate with uh, various other businesses which can kind of support because airline business is pretty cyclical so uh, you have a lot of periods where you have a lot of capex going in and then the revenues can be very volatile and seasonal right so definitely tata is a front runner spicejet has successfully run an airline in india uh, through the whole cycle through recession uh, last year has been very bad covid has been bad for airlines globally so uh, that is also true one thing that i want to point out this is showing the seriousness of the Indian government to privatize Air India. See, there is a lot of opposition to this saying that, oh, we are selling off family jewels. But right now, Air India has become a white elephant costing about 10,000 crores in losses per year. So with the same set of employees, same set of resources, planes, as well as landing slots, uh, you could run a, maybe a better profitable company. I'm actually happy that it is two Indian groups which are bidding for it. I think any foreign airline bidding would find like integration issues uh, very difficult. So definitely, I think if this is going through, uh, we've seen a lot of these promises made and then sometimes something, you know, makes the process stuck. So hopefully it gets done by FY22. And uh, this is again, very much beneficial for consumers and the other airlines as well. So if you have one dominant player, which is willing to make infinite losses, then no one in the sector can make money. So that is why you saw like jet fold down. Uh, you only had uh, Indigo, Go Air and uh, SpiceJet running. Uh, but in this case, once you see a one of the competitors also having some sort of market discipline, uh, you will see the whole airline sector prosper. So it is beneficial from both perspectives. And again, this is what something what we all were expecting the Vajpayee government to do in 2003-2004. So again, I repeat my comment, probably the best time was 15 years ago or like 17 years ago, but second best time is now. So definitely it's another good thing to come up. I feel a lot of these reforms are being pushed through faster is due to the COVID crisis and the government uh, seeing a fall in tax revenue cannot bear these big losses continually. So a lot of this has been pushed through very quickly. And yeah, that's a very big positive. No, it's interesting how COVID has sort of forced the hand on some of these things, right? But uh, also I think divestment itself is more of a political process than an economic uh, one, right? So, so I think the timing is what it is with Akasha Air, which is uh, going to be launched by Rakesh Rinjanwala, uh, also being launched as well, right? So the whole sector is going to get a lot more competitive, right? All right, moving on. In more political news, former Union Minister Babal Supriyo has joined the Trinamool Congress. The singer-turned politician has dropped, sorry, was dropped from the PM's cabinet in the last reshuffle in July. Reportedly, 
Many other BJP leaders are also in connection with the TMC. The BJP has accused Trinamool of luring its leaders with money and threats. TMC also hit back, accusing BJP of poaching their leaders before assembly elections. Abhishek, what is happening here? Yeah, so Babul Supriyo uh, won a couple of elections with the BJP for the Lok Sabha in 2014 and 2019 uh, from the Asansol constituency. Uh, in fact, he won with a much bigger margin in 2019, right? When BJP was doing very well in uh, Bengal. Uh, and he basically uh, went on to become the, you know, minister at the central level. Initially, he was uh, the Minister of State for uh, Heavy Industries and Public Enterprises and later in the 20, after 2019 uh, BJP's uh, victory, he became the Minister of State for Environment, Forest and Climate Change. So uh, he sort of became the face for the Bengal BJP at the center, right? He was probably the most prominent face of the party uh, at the national level and represented in the government. So a couple of things happened since then. So he was asked to contest in the assembly elections in 2021 from Tolliganj uh, in Calcutta, which, which was a very uphill task. Like, I don't think people would have thought that he had any chance of winning. So he was sort of put in a no-win situation. Then I think in the post-election sort of violence that was happening, he made some comments about, you know, not going into the areas because it was not safe or something like that, right? So I think that sort of comment made him uh, pretty unpopular with his own party's supporters who were expecting their leaders to stand with the people who were affected by the violence, right? So I think that was probably a turning point where his relationship with the party and it Carter's got badly affected because that obviously he was dropped from the cabinet as as part of the reshuffle and newer ministers from Bengal were inducted. So since then he first quit, uh, he said he's quitting politics, then he decided to stay back as an MP and now he's decided to join the TMC. I don't think it's uh, pretty or anything surprising, I expect. I mean, Bengal politics is such that people keep moving between parties. Not really surprising. And also, I don't think the BJP will uh, miss him too much either. We'll see what happens now. All right. Big news in the world of geopolitics. Uh, the US, Australia and the UK have announced a security pact in the Asia-Pacific region. The AUKUS pact is seen as an effort to counter China's increasing military presence in the South China Sea and other significant parts of the APAC region. The pact will allow Australia to build nuclear-powered submarines for the first time and will also cover AI and other technologies. China has condemned the agreement as, to quote, extremely irresponsible. China's embassy in Washington accused the countries of a Cold War mentality and ideological prejudice. Nirav, seems like a lot is happening, a lot of 3D chess. What do you think about this? Okay, so basically, as you pointed out, right, one of like the major reason is definitely China's ex uh, extending influence, uh, not just in South China Sea, which is right around it, but also to wider Indian Ocean and Pacific Ocean, right? So Australia is a key point uh, straddling Indian Ocean and the Pacific Ocean. And it's also part of the old alliance, the Five Eyes Alliance. So that was US, UK, Australia, New Zealand and Canada. Right, which has now kind of become effectively the three eyes alliance. As per the earlier nuclear non-proliferation uh, treaty, Australia was not a nuclear uh, force. So now this has changed. Uh, Australia will get technology for nuclear-powered submarines. 
as well as uh, it is going to get a few tomahawk missiles so as you pointed out very uh, clearly that uh, china is definitely unhappy with this and it has been accusing for like cold war mentality but like now we are seeing again a bipolar world with like ussr having collapsed in 1989 now china is kind of filling that uh, spot where it is chief geopolitical rival of the us yes definitely us and uh, uk have felt that Australia has a strategic position as well as it's a old ally uh, years together so this was something which was needed probably to counter and then like adding on even it has upset some of their other traditional allies so which is like France has uh, kind of uh, made comments against it uh, recalled their ambassadors and uh, there was a deal earlier uh, in 2016 where the France was going to provide uh, uh, 16 submarines but these are the conventional diesel powered ones Australia kept them in the dark about this new deal and they've cancelled the previous deal so what the nuclear submarines do for Australia is they can have their navies further and further away uh you do not need as much refueling and they can patrol uh the critical trade lanes so one of them is definitely the malacca strait which is around singapore uh also going deeper into like south china sea so this allows australian navy uh, a lot more leverage right so as a reaction france has recalled its ambassadors from the us and australia the aukus pact caused france to miss out on a 66 billion dollar agreement with australia to build conventional submarines in a statement made by the french foreign minister the decision was made by mr macron the decision by president emmanuel macron reflects the extent of french outrage at what it has called a brutal american decision and a stab in the back from australia nirav what do you think is this uh, some sort of a hissy fit or i mean there's some real consequence to it so i think definitely see what has happened is now all like in geopolitics now it's like the era of rebalancing so definitely france is a key member of the nato and they felt that us and uk which are members of nato uh, did kept them in dark australia kind uh, cancelled their deal for 16 conventional submarines and this affects their defense export sector so france is a pretty big uh defense exporter and that's a big revenue for their government so this is lost as well now uh, they are throwing a temper tantrum but this is probably the new reality now france will retaliate as well in a manner so they will have to form different allies in the indian ocean uh france actually has a few protectorates in the pacific ocean one of them the biggest one is new caledonia which is off the coast of australia and brisbane probably france has been a, a military ally of india and this is an opportunity for india to have like another pact with france so it, this is as i said like it's it's a question about rebalancing france does feel a little bit left out not being involved and this is an opportunity i think as you mentioned there are layers and layers of 3d chess going on all the moves in afghanistan in south china sea and uh, there are no allies are it tells you like in politics or in geopolitics there are no permanent friends or no permanent uh, enemies but only permanent interests right yeah. so i think it's a time for people to leverage this as well uh, uh this is an opportunity for india and definitely i think it also shows that everybody has recognized the key threat as well that uh, who is their real ally who is your threat who is your competition and yeah so it is what it is no i highly recommend people watch this uh, video of honorable minister s jay shankar speaking about uh, some of this stuff i think he was talking in munich uh, about a year back where he was saying that uh, you know given that we are going to enter a multipolar world the requirement is more multilateralism right and uh, uh, the west has to form 
more alliances with the South. Plenty of, I think, what he said then seems uh, oddly fitting at this point of time with everything that's happening. So do check out that video on YouTube. Finally, to round things off with more political news. In a development on the Punjab politics saga, Captain Amrinder Singh has resigned as Chief Minister. He resigned months before polls, saying that he has been humiliated thrice and that the Congress is free to appoint whoever they trust. Sources say over 50 MLAs had written to Congress Chief Sonia Gandhi, demanding that Captain Amrinder Singh be replaced as Punjab Chief Minister. The names of three leaders in circulation to replace Mr. Singh are former Punjab Congress Chiefs Sunil Jakar, Pratap Singh Bajwa, and Bian Singh's grandson, Ravneet Singh Bittu. Abhishek, again, we, we're seeing more political drama even in Punjab. Just catches up to speed on whatever is happening. Yeah, so I think uh, there has been a sort of uh, clash within the Punjab Congress uh, so on one side you had the CM Amrinder Singh and on the other side you had Navjot Singh Sidhu, right? The former cricketer and former BJP member who joined Congress a few years back. So I think uh, that clash has been going around for some time. It basically came to a head uh, this week. Uh, so I think the three incidents you've talked about are basically all... Uh, meetings called within the Punjab, I mean, among the Punjab MLAs. And they've been sort of called without uh, the leader of those MLAs, which would be the CM uh, being in loop. Amrinder Singh has had a very interesting career, if you actually look at it. So, uh, I, I mean, in his political career, he was in the Congress and he then uh, quit the party after... Uh, you know, during those, after those events of 1984, right, Operation Blue Star and all that. And very few people or not many might know, but he had actually joined the Akali Dal. And he has actually served as a minister in previous Akali Dal government. Uh, then he quit that and uh, created his own political party and which later sort of merged back with the Congress in uh, 1998, I think. And since then, he has been uh, with the Congress party. He was CM from 2002 onwards till 2007 and then been leading in the last term uh, from 2017. So yeah, I think Punjab electoral politics is in a bit of a flux. Uh, the farmer protests that are ongoing are one of the major issues on the ground. You also have issues related to uh, drugs and things like that, right? And uh, uh, Navjot Singh Sidhu has been like one more uh, sort of volatile element added into it where you already have uh, the AAP becoming quite a, or which became quite a significant force in the last election, right? Uh, the Akali Dal is sort of in doldrums and the BJP is not really much of a force there. So it will be interesting to see what he does next. I mean, he could uh, possibly create another party of his own or he could join an opposition party, which we don't know, right? So it will be interesting to watch. I think uh, Punjab is not like most other states uh, where uh, people can just uh, let it uh, let things be as local issues, right? Because it is a border state uh, bordering Pakistan, right? So it's like, uh, and uh, uh, when someone like Amrinder Singh actually criticizes his own party uh, colleagues like Sidhu, right? For doing quote-unquote anti-national things, you know that uh, things are very sensitive, right? And... Uh, 
I would say that Amrinder Singh was probably the best option as CM, given, I mean, considering what I would consider as India's national interest, right? Given the other options are sort of very, very unpredictable and volatile kind of figures, like whether it is a Siddhu or a Amadmi party, right? So I think it's, I mean, we'll have to wait and see, but fingers crossed, uh, sort of wise people are still at the helm at the end, end of this, right? Okay, we have a couple of questions, comments coming in on chat. Uh, Sartha Kagarwal says, are these the only two bidders for Air India or there or are there others that are that have not been made uh, public? Uh, Nirav, you want to take that? Yeah, so I think uh, there is an all such bids, right? There is a technical and financial pre-qualification. So there have been a couple of them who have been disqualified. So that is what it is. I think given whatever the circumstances and the, what the whole airline sector is going through, uh, these two probably are the best bets to actually be able to run the airline as a going concern rather than someone like uh, uh, even you could see like a private equity group take over and then sell the landing slots and sell the uh, planes. And then uh, like in that kind of a scenario, that's not what the government wants. The yeah. government wants it to uh, run as a going concern, maintain the brand and maintain uh, bulk of the employees. So I think they've done some sort of pre-qualification and these are the only two there. Right. Interesting comment also from Himang Palan. He says, USA always has compartmentalized transactional point of view, eventually ended up missing off ally France, who has control over many islands in the region. By having Australia and Quad, USA could have also used their own fleet, but they're looking for business in this. Indirect help to CCP of Democrats by division. Okay, so that, that's a very interesting comment. Yeah. But like, if you look at it, uh, one is, yes, uh, in, in, as part of the Quad, USA could have used its own nuclear submarines in the Australian uh, region. But here they are like selling nuclear sub So they're like uh, doing some defense exports, right? So that is one, which is probably opportunism. And that is why France has been upset. Uh, thing number two is uh, you see like probably a lot of Chinese are saying on social media that the West is still stuck in the past Cold War. So they're fighting the previous war, whereas China has looked at the future where they've got like a few things. So they've got the RCEP, so Regional uh, Comprehensive Economic Program. They have the Belt and Road Initiative. And now they're joining Trans-Pacific Partnership, which was supposed to be US and all the other uh, nations in the Pacific Islands uh, region, which now it is called as CPTPP. So what has happened is China has reached out to the global south, whereas AUKUS is still, the though Australia is in the south and not in the west, south and east of the world, but part of the global elite or the global uh, west, right? So this is valid criticism. You will see, that's why. So what you will see probably is uh, other nations will reach out and there will be a lot more multilateral, multilateral bilateralism you will see France reach out and build alliances. You will see other nations uh, reach out. So this is definitely a lot of moving parts. Uh, can't be sure, is it a gift to CCP or is it uh, a wake up call for the others to also look at the global south and build alliances, right? So we don't know, 
टाइम विल ओनली टेल राइट ऑल राइट सो दैट्स अ रैप फ्रॉम अस हियर नॉट बिफोर वी टेल यू अबाउट व्हाट्स कमिंग अप वी वी रिकॉर्ड अ फैसिनेटिंग फैसिनेटिंग एपिसोड विद सर जेफरी आर्चर द वन एंड ओनली आई मीन ही इज 81 इयर्स ओल्ड बट ही इज मोर एंथुसियास्टिक देन एनी 16 इयर ओल्ड यू कैन फाइंड राइट अ फैसिनेटिंग एपिसोड यू नो we ran through much of his writing uh, his relation with india politics and plenty of other things obviously very very articulate person and also extremely candid and humorous um, so this is definitely one to look out for uh, nirav abhishek are you guys uh, jeffrey archer fans i don't know if i'm a fan but i have definitely enjoyed a few of his books yeah yeah no, i would I, say yeah so i would say is the same like when i started reading a lot of fiction uh like jeffrey archer books were one of the first ones uh they were popularly available uh even with roadside vendors a lot of them were pirated yeah. cheap copies so sir jeffrey archer definitely has a lot of readers probably not as much royalty from india yeah no i mean so he was narrating the incident where you know on in bombay uh one of the street hawkers came came up to him with a book of his own book and uh, said i mean do you want the latest jeffrey archer right and he replied saying i am the latest jeffrey archer <laughs> right so yeah f- a lot of amazing insights and anecdotes from the conversation do check it out it will be published on tuesday all right folks thank you so much for joining uh, it's been a fun morning discussing the news and events with you so from abhishek nirav and myself uh, we wish you a very uh, an amazing week ahead and stay safe and take care so bye